Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, help begins arriving for hard-hit COVID Ontario. A medical team from Newfoundland and Labrador will soon be followed by the Canadian military on a day when the Prime Minister rejects Ontario's new sick leave proposal. MPs will be here to debate the Ontario pandemic response and the role of the federal government. On a day when Quebec reports the country's first death from blood clots in a woman who received the AstraZeneca vaccine. The Premier of Newfoundland will join me to discuss his decision to send help to the people of Ontario. More on that coming up. And the pandemic response, the budget, the personalities, Bolster David Coletto is here with the most recent snapshot of Canadian attitudes about their political leaders. We'll begin tonight with the news of the first death in Canada of a person who received the AstraZeneca vaccine, a 54-year-old Quebec woman in otherwise good health who developed rare blood clots in her brain. The province's director of public health defended the use of the vaccine today. Here's what he had to say. We are sure we are preventing more deaths and more complications of the disease even with that vaccine. It's, it's a really this one. And when we did the first 55 years old and older, it was the first signal and it was temporary and we want to have more data. We went to 45 here in Quebec based on our epidemiology. Other provinces are going down to 30 because they got so much cases that the risk benefit is better with the vaccine. Well, COVID infections are easing in some parts of the country and spiking in others and almost everywhere. The strain is building on provincial healthcare systems with more hospitalizations and patients, many of them younger patients, in intensive care units. Help is coming to Ontario from the Canadian military and from Newfoundland and Labrador. Paid sick leave is a key to reducing COVID spread. We learned today the Ford government is offering to double the benefits available in the federal sick leave plan to $1,000 a week, but they want the feds to administer the payment. A proposal the Prime Minister rejected, saying Ontario needs to create its own program to have provincially regulated businesses pay for sick leave for their employees. And I know the, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister is working directly uh, with the province of Ontario to ensure uh, that the right supports get there uh, for people as quickly as possible. Uh, as we've said, uh, we are there to help Canadians. We have people's backs. Uh, we need to work together and provinces uh, need to look at the way to deliver uh, sick leave through, directly through employers, which the federal government can't do. Uh, we've stepped up. We've uh, provided uh, national leadership. Uh, I think uh, the federal government should do this for uh, all provinces uh, across the country. $1,000 a week for four weeks uh, will really go a long ways to defeating uh, COVID-19. What the government of Ontario is suggesting is not paid sick days. It's the doubling down uh, on a failed federal program, throwing money at a failed federal program. And that's not what Ontario workers need or deserve. That's not going to stop the spread of COVID-19 in workplaces, and it's not going to stop the deaths. All right, so now the Ontario government and the federal government are in discussions on a paid sick leave plan for the province of Ontario. And while that happens, the infections in workplaces continue. Let's discuss what is happening in the province of Ontario with three members of parliament from 
that province. Jennifer O'Connell is the Liberal MP for Pickering-Uxbridge and the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Health. Eric Duncan is the Conservative MP for Stormont, Dundas, South Glengarry and the Question Period Coordinator for the Official Opposition. And Lindsay Matheson is the NDP MP for London Fanshawe and her party's Deputy Whip. Uh, good to see you all. Uh, Jennifer O'Connell, let me start with you. The military stepped in to help in Ontario. Other provinces are stepping up to help Ontario. The hospital system and the, de you know, the dedicated workers uh, on the front lines there, they're being overwhelmed and there's still no paid sick leave plan in the province. Uh, how do you explain why Ontario is being so hard hit by the third wave? Well, I mean, first, let me just start and thank those healthcare workers in particular in Ontario. We're seeing the stress and the strain they're under. And so to see um, health support coming from Newfoundland today was really a point of pride for me. My family is actually from Newfoundland. So it was really nice to see that help um, arriving. But when it comes to infection rates, we know that the vast majority are in our communities. So it's really important that we don't um, lose all of the work that we've done throughout this pandemic to fight this virus and that we continue to take those public, strong public health measures to keep our communities safe. But, and but so, has it been a failing of some of those measures, do you think, that's put Ontario where it is? Or, or the failure well, to take I, stronger measures? Or? Well, I mean, I think um, what we've been encouraging at the federal level is to listen to science and evidence. And there ha was... Um, modeling back in February, uh, talking about what was needed in these measures. And so I think now as a federal government, as federal representatives, we're encouraging Ontario to take the evidence-based approach and to put in place measures that are going to make a real impact right. in these communities. Mr. Duncan, most other provinces uh, uh, are doing better than Ontario at controlling the spread of the third wave. And I guess I'm looking for your thoughts. Why are things so bad in, in the province of Ontario? Well, it, it, Peter, they're, they're bad across the country. There are other provinces that are in third waves and having significant strains in their healthcare system. Uh, Ontario is certainly one of them, without a doubt. To answer your question about why we're in the situation, it's because the federal government has not got enough vaccines to the provinces to be distributed and get shots in arms. We look at jurisdictions. We're watching with NVP. I watched this weekend. The Las Vegas Strip is coming back to life. We're seeing domestic and international air travel in the U.S. increasing. And meanwhile, we're in lockdowns. We're in restrictions. The United Kingdom, Israel, countries that have had good vaccine rollouts have been reopening. Those that haven't procured them, like our federal government right. did not do, that's why we're in this third wave right now, Peter. Okay, Lindsay. No, if all, and, it, and not just Ontario, many provinces are in it. Right, I'm looking Linda, at Nova we... Scotia, smaller numbers, but they're yeah, they're, they're, as well. they're having some problems as well. Lindsay Matheson, uh, what's your view on what's been happening in Ontario and, and the fact that it's been so hard hit by a third wave? Um, thanks, Peter. It is a combination of uh, vaccine rollout. Um, uh, and, and let's be honest, uh, you know, New Democrats have been calling uh, for a long time for additional supports uh, to go to the province on, of Ontario, calling for uh, the, the Prime Minister to bring forward the Emergencies Act, uh, making sure that all hands are on deck, uh, bringing in the military. Um, uh, but one of the, the key things, of course, is that we're pushing for paid sick leave um, and to strengthen the federal sick leave program. Um, which is, is something that Doug Ford has now sort of said that he wants to glum on to, and yet it's not sufficient uh, to, to just double it. So many um, experts, yeah. healthcare experts in the field have said that's not enough. Let, let's talk about that. Jennifer O'Connell, the Ontario government's been promising improved sick leave for workers who don't have paid days now. The Ontario proposal 
uh, being put forward today would double uh, weekly sick leave payments in Ontario to $1,000, but have those extra payments administered through the existing federal pandemic sickness benefit program. Prime Minister rejected that idea today, saying, look, the Ford government, what the Ford government needs to do is mandate paid sick leave for employees at all provincially regulated companies. So, so I, you know, what's the argument for Ontario having to set up its own plan when there's a federal plan in place already? Well, I think, first of all, they do different things. From day one, we also supported paid sick days. Um, so our commitment is there. But we can only mandate in federally regulated jurisdictions or provide a system like we have now, um, which uh, provides based on, in this case, an application basis when you need them. And that helps a lot of Canadians, in particular self-employed Canadians, etc. But I think the simplest explanation is Ontario had three paid sick days and they were cut in 2018, simply reinstating those because I think the gap that many health experts are looking for is a system where um, employees, for example, could take a day off to go get a vaccine, to go get tested if they're right. not feeling well, to not go to work. And like that is, I think, the, the system that experts are calling for in Ontario. And that is a system that existed. So simply reinstating okay. it would go a long way. Yeah, and to be, then to the be clear, portion. Yeah, to, uh, sorry, to, to be clear, uh, the, the federal plan is a retroactive plan. So if you're sick, you apply for the benefits and you get them in uh, off, often in some cases in three or four or five days, but it's a, it, it can be complicated. And if you do have to go get tested or take a couple of days off, uh, you've lost that money out of that week's paycheck and you have to wait for it to come back. So Mr. Duncan, Doug, Doug Ford's repeatedly criticized the federal sick leave program and now he wants to piggyback on it. Uh, he stated he doesn't want to pass on any more cost to business in the province. So how much of this reluctance to mandate paid sick leave in Ontario in a pandemic is about not wanting to create permanent paid sick days after the pandemic? Well, I, look, I'm not privy to the conversations that the uh, the Ontario and federal government have been having, but I do think that, you know, if, if I, I'm sure Jennifer and Lindsay are both in the same situation. Our office has been inundated, my constituency mm -hmm. office, with problems with EI and with CERB. So I think these conversations of how easy we can get these benefits set up and how easily we can get them distributed to people using existing systems, I think is a natural question to ask. Uh, and again, I, I, the, the line the government uses all the time, every step of the way, they say that they've been there with provinces and territories. We have a province that's asking for help in the administration of this. Uh, and, and I think it, it warrants a conversation to see, is there a way to make this work? If there's a way to, to get this out and get the money out, to your point, as quickly as possible, there's certainly been a lot of kinks in the program uh, in, in issues with it at right. the federal level in terms of getting people paid. But okay. I think at the end of the day, people just want a simplistic thing that's not going to be overly bureaucratic. Yeah, if well, I, Create I, something from scratch in a matter of days. That, that, I think that's, that's, that's probably the key. And, and Lindsay Matheson, uh, for, for people watching, this, this, some of this is going to sound like passing the buck and playing politics between federal and provincial governments over people's lives here. What, what do you believe has to happen? Um, there, I think that when you, you start to talk about uh, all these programs, there's a political will involved. And um, uh, it was designed in a flawed format. Uh, there has definitely been barriers to access uh, in terms of that recovery be benefit. Um, and you're absolutely right when you point out that um, if people want to take one or two days, they have to take the entire allotment. Uh, they don't get their money uh, right away. These are key things that stand in the way, and people are hurting right now. And so ultimately, when we wanted to put forward that Emergencies Act, um, it was to ensure that people were put first.
in this pandemic and that you figure out um, the details after, but you put people first and you ensure that yeah. they have the services and the help that they need. Is there a way to get the money at the door quickly now and, and, and set up? I mean, that seems to be what Ontario is after. Get the money at the door quickly in the existing program and the federal government's response. To some degree, Jennifer O'Connell has been, look, we our IT systems don't work that way and we really don't want to make a singular type of payment to one province when uh, and not to other provinces. Are, are those valid uh, reasons for not wanting the Ontario model? I don't think it's a, an IT system. It's as you described, um, we have, whether it was through CERB or EI, our processing is through these types of programs. And as you pointed out, it's retroactive. This, um, if you want mandated legislative sick days, which federally regulated sectors have because we can make those legal changes. Um, but in terms of processing, it actually takes three days once the it's applied for. I think the difference, the nuance that everybody right. is talking about is the difference from when you get a paycheck and if you take a day off for, for you know, sick leave and your pay isn't affected because it versus a government-run program. And so if you want that uninterrupted day off, that is something that has to come through the labor legislation at the Ontario okay. government, which existed. And as I said, yeah, at the we, federal level, we implemented for federally regulated. Mr. Um, Mr. Duncan, is the easy, easiest thing to do here just to have the Ontario government introduce a law that says there's going to be paid sick leave days for people who don't have them now? I think there's a challenge when it comes to businesses, and there's been a lot of strain. We don't need to say how much strain or reiterate again how much businesses have been under with the lockdowns and the restrictions, and particularly now in the third wave. I think what the province is trying to do, and what many provinces are trying to do, is to help businesses out, help people out as well, and balance all that out. Look, I say at the end of the day, and Peter, I take your point, uh, people are interested in the solution at the end of the day. Uh, and I do think it is, you know, there is an IT factor and there's a deliverability aspect to this as well. I I certainly think that we need to make sure that the conversations are happening between it's just not a yeah. hard no you're on your own i think we have to look at that but i think there's also a pressure as well we don't yeah. want this to be a final straw for any business anywhere there's a balance we need to help uh, help people the province has alluded to that but how can we quickly and easy get that out the door all right uh, is what they're asking for lindsay matheson let me get a final word from you here and on, on uh, how quickly this can happen and should happen Again, this is about political will, and we need to put uh, the politics aside. Uh, the The federal government has a responsibility. The provincial government has a responsibility. And I would actually argue that in terms of businesses, um, yes, there is responsibility there. Um, but let's think about the long-term impacts they have of having to shut down uh, entirely again because of the spread of COVID and yet a fourth wave. And so let's look at the long-term consequences of not doing anything and not taking the responsibility that the governments need to. All right. Lots to consider in your comments tonight. Thank you all for your time. Uh, take care, everyone. We'll talk again. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Healthcare workers from Newfoundland and Labrador have arrived in Ontario to help ease the COVID-19 load in that province. Three doctors, five nurses, and a nurse practitioner are all volunteers. They describe themselves as a small but mighty team with lots of experience on the COVID front lines. They'll help Toronto area hospitals deal with the surge in critical care cases. One of those volunteers is Dr. Allison Fury, the wife of the Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador. It's an opportunity to help our, our people and uh, they've cried out for, um, 
for help. I've uh, followed my colleagues up there and, and they're struggling and they have been for, you know, over a year. So um, if I can go and relieve somebody up there of their, um, you know, give them some reprieve, then uh, I'm happy to do that. Well, Dr. Andrew Fury is the Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador. He is also a physician, an orthopedic surgeon who, along with his wife, has been to uh, many medical missions overseas, and he is with me now. Uh, thanks so much, Premier, for taking time to speak with me. Uh, look, we've just heard from your, your wife, Alison Fury, Dr. Alison Fury, about her reasons for volunteering to help out in Ontario. You know, Newfoundland and Labrador has a, a tradition of punching above its weight at a time of crisis, and I'm wondering how long did you have to think about answering this uh, call for help from Ontario? Well, not very long at all. As soon as we heard uh, the call, uh, I made the call to, to uh, Premier Ford and said, look, I know we're small, but we're mighty. And any way that we can help, whether it's in supplies or with personnel, we're happy uh, to help. This is, I think we know that COVID-19 doesn't recognize provincial boundaries. Uh, we recognize that this is a Canadian issue and we're all Canadian and we need to be able to uh, contribute to that family atmosphere when we can to help our brothers and sisters, regardless of they where they live in this beautiful country. Uh, so we were happy to, uh, to, to, to help uh, even in a small way, but you know, this it, little bit of help is a little bit of hope and, and hope begets hope. And I think that's something that we all need a bit of right now is this COVID-19 pandemic uh, wears long. Mm. Uh, you and your wife have, have been part, I touched on it, of medical missions to countries uh, racked by poverty or crisis. And I'm uh, wondering how yeah. you think, you know, how do you think this is different when you have to do it for your own country? Well, I mean, it's obviously very different when you're operating in a low and middle income country uh, uh, compared to a, a G7 country, uh, I mean, the, the challenges are, were much different. Uh, the fact that I could pick up the phone and talk to Premier Ford and have this organized so quickly and so efficiently, uh, recognizing the medical skills and the capacity that we have to execute on this in a short period of time is is remarkable and speaks to the Canadian nature of, of, of this crisis that we're all facing and the fact that we should be able to rely on our neighbours to help and in tough times. Uh, it's very different than when you're on the ground, just say after the earthquake in Port-au-Prince uh, or, you know, in the refugee crisis in, in uh, on the border of Bangladesh and Myanmar. Like those are different uh, scenarios. Uh, but I will say what the common threads from among, amongst them all, what I anticipate will be is that both will stretch your personal uh, capacity, your professional limits. And the, the only way you can get through those stressful, anxious time is being able to to lean on your neighbors, to lean on your team member. Uh, and uh, this is a Team Canada approach. And the fact that Ontario is leaning on Newfoundland and Labrador right now, uh, symbolically, but also in terms of the individual medical professionals, I think will lend, uh, will lend a helping hand that's much needed. You're sending a medical team of nine people. You know, for, for a, that doesn't seem like a big number, uh, but how, nope. much of, how much of a difference will, will that group make? Well, certainly I've experienced that small teams can have big impacts. Um, we, this is just the start, and if the numbers stay the way they are here in our own jurisdiction, then we're looking at uh, potentially providing more. But small teams can have a big impact. We know that the medical professionals on the front line there have been working and are, are, are exhausted. So when you go into an environment where, in a, in a crisis environment, where the system is strapped, the personnel are strapped, they're exhausted, and having that little extra bit of support uh, to be able to take a shift, to, to be able to take a week to two to three weeks of shifts away from someone so that they can recoup, be energized, and come back is incredibly important. And we've seen that. I've seen that myself on the ground in Port-au-Prince. 
uh, and seeing how a short, small, impactful team can make an incredible difference. Of course, it's not going to change the overall landscape, but that shouldn't be the message. The message is really about helping our neighbors and helping the individual patients in that particular moment in time. What, what happens if your COVID cases in, in your province surge there? Uh, will you call them back? Absolutely, and that's been a, that's been a, a condition on, um, on these teams uh, with Premier Ford and with the Prime Minister and Minister LeBlanc. I've said, you know, of course we're willing to help, but if things change, and, and they can change, uh, we'd have to recall uh, medical professionals here to, if, if there is a change in our own epidemiology here at home. And everyone's, of course, is, is completely understanding of that. There have been some questions raised in your province. The nurses' union there says, you know, has been pushing your government to deal with ongoing staffing shortages in parts of the province. Um, what do you say to them? How, the, the, some people are wondering, how can you spare those workers for Ontario if you have a nurses' shortage in, uh, in your province? Yeah, sure. The, the nurses' union has been supportive of this initiative, but uh, it's, it's somewhat, it's a false equivalent. It's, you know, because... You know, there's an acute crisis now happening in Ontario. There, of course, is issues ongoing in our medical system with nursing shortages, as I'm sure there are in many jurisdictions across the country. And we will endeavor as a government to address those in medium and long, with medium and long-term solutions. Uh, but there's not to say that because one issue is occurring that, and another issue is occurring that you can't deal with both at the same time. And that's where that false equivalence kind of comes in. That said, we will endeavor to work with the nurses union to uh, to work through uh, the nursing shortage staffing issues that occur throughout the province um, in, to, to address that in a, in a more definitive right. way. That's been a chronic issue that's been facing this province for a while. All right. Uh, Premier Andrew Fury, uh, good to talk to you, Premier. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much, Peter. Well, the threat of a snap election is over after the federal budget passed uh, the last of three confidence votes last night with the support of the NDP. So electoral politics takes a backseat to the pandemic, at least for now. But Canadians do still have opinions about the way their leaders are, well, leading. David Coletto is the CEO of Abacus Data. He's with me now. David, good to see you again. Hope all is uh, well as you, uh, you know, push through the pandemic like uh, so many other Canadians. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the latest results in a moment. But first, what do we need to know about this survey? So we completed this survey um, earlier this week. Um, we interviewed just over 2,200 Canadians representative sample weighted according to the census by age, region, gender, official language, and educational attainment. And it was conducted online. Okay, so look, we have the ongoing pandemic response. We have a new federal budget. There won't be a snap spring election now, uh, but if uh, at least not, not soon. Uh, but if we were headed to the polls now, how would Canadians vote? Well, we continue to see that the Liberals have a sizable lead over the Conservatives. In our most recent survey, we have the Liberals ahead by seven points, 36% for them, 29% uh, for the Conservatives, the NDP at 17, and both the Bloc and the Green Party at 7%. And when we compare that to our trend line, uh, this is a slight dip for the Liberals. They're down three points from, from last week before the federal budget. But you can see there, this is the fourth poll in a row that shows the cons the Liberals with a pretty sizable lead, a, a healthy enough lead that if these numbers were to hold on Election Day, that they would be pretty close, if not over the line of winning a majority government again. All right. Tell me about the impressions that voters have of the federal leaders. Who's impressing them and who's impressing them not so much? Yeah, well, Mr. Trudeau, the prime minister, you know, for a long time has been 
pretty polarizing figure. You've got a sizable number, 37% who say they've got a favorable view of, of him compared to 42% who have a negative view. Um, for the Mr. O'Toole, the opposition leader, a little different story. Only one out of five have a positive view of the conservative leader compared to 34% negative. Uh, Mr. Singh, the new Democrat leader, is actually, if we look at a net positive, he's the most popular leader. More people view him positively than negatively. And for Ms. Paul, the Green Party leader, she's still largely unknown. About equal numbers have a positive and negative view, but you can see the bulk of Canadians fall in the middle. They either say they don't have much impression of her or they don't know her at all. Let's drill down a bit on the Prime Minister and the leader of the official opposition, Aaron O'Toole, over the past number of months. When you look at you know, where uh, their impressions have been with Canadians, what do you see? Well, for the Prime Minister, I think, you know, if you look at the chart, his numbers have, have remained fairly static um, over the last number of months. There, there was a period early on in the pandemic where his positives really went up, but they've, they've come back more to normal where we have about equal numbers viewing them positively and negatively. Now that's not the case for Mr. O'Toole. Um, it appears the more people get to know the Conservative Party leader, the more they dislike him. You can see that red line continuing to rise um, whereas that green line is holding fairly steady. And that's, I think, a real challenge for, for Mr. O'Toole um, in that not only is he starting off relatively unknown when he was elected leader last year, but since that time, he hasn't really gained much traction with Canadians and, and finds, him, finds himself um, having the most negative uh, view of, of any leader in terms of net uh, favorability. You also asked which of the party leaders would be preferred as the prime minister. Uh, what did uh, Canadians tell you there? We found that the Prime Minister himself, which is often the case when we ask this kind of question, has a sizable lead. He's at 31%. Um, Mr. O'Toole is actually in a close race with Mr. Singh, 18% for, for the Conservative leader, 17% for um, Mr. Singh. But I, I, I do point your attention to that big grey bar there, right. the 28% of Canadians who say they're not sure who they would prefer to be PM after the next election. So advantage Mr. Trudeau, but still lots of Canadians out there not sure. And I think that's a reflection of the fact, first, that Mr. O'Toole is still relatively unknown. And two, because we're in the middle of a pandemic, and I think this is important to note, not a lot of people are really thinking about that choice right now until they're actually forced to if we have an election right. later this spring or in the fall. Fair enough. And what about if you narrow it down to just, uh, just Justin Trudeau versus Aaron O'Toole? What do you see? Well, here we see, again, another advantage for the prime minister. 60% of Canadians, if forced to choose, who do they want to be prime minister? 60% choose the prime minister, the current prime minister, 40% for Mr. O'Toole. And when we look at it across current party supporters, not surprising, most liberals want Mr. Trudeau, most conservatives want Mr. O'Toole. But this is where, if we're going to see some consolidation um, among New Democrats, among Green Party supporters, even among Bloc supporters, a majority in all three cases would prefer the prime minister. And among undecided voters, almost two thirds say they'd prefer the prime minister uh, over Mr. O'Toole. And so all of that suggests that if we do get into an election where it's a close two-way race between the conservatives and the liberals, um, this bodes well for the prime minister and able to perhaps bring some of those other party voters onto his side. You also asked about the desire for change, which is uh, an important driver for voters, especially if it looks like we're going to have an election. Often uh, that's what you know decides it. People, people say, look, it's, it's ready for change. If we're going to have a change of government, rather, uh, this is where you start to see that number. What are they saying now? 
Well, we actually find right now, and we've seen this for, for uh, the last few months since we've been tracking it, that, that the, the desire for change, the intensity to kick out the incumbents isn't as strong today as it was at the beginning or the end of the last federal election. At that time, more than half of the country said, we definitely want a change in government. Give us anybody else other than Mr. Trudeau. Today, that number is only 39%. Now, there are far more people who say, I'd prefer a change in government than keeping the current one, but that most important groups are those in the middle, those who say, I'd like change, but it's not important, or I'd like to keep the Liberals, but it's not that important. Among those two groups, the Liberals have a big lead, and that's why they're able to build this national lead over the Conservatives. That desire for change, which drove voters to both the Conservatives, the New Democrats, the Greens, the Bloc in the last election, it's not there. And so that's going to be a key indicator that, that will guide and, and, and really point to whether the Liberals are really in trouble or um, whether they're, they're much more safe in terms of their re-election. And let's finish on one more graphic, and that's the performance of some key provincial premiers trying to manage this uh, third wave of the pandemic. What are you finding? Well, we've seen, and these are the four largest provinces where we have large enough sample sizes. And, and as you can see here, there are two premiers that are doing quite well, Mr. Legault in Quebec, Mr. Horgan in British Columbia. Both of them have far more people who say they have a favorable or positive view of, of them than negative. And then you've got Mr. Ford uh, in Ontario and Mr. Kenny in Alberta, where over the last number of months, we've seen their negatives continue to rise. In particular for Mr. Ford in Ontario, for most of 2020 and into 2021, we'd actually seen more people say they like him than dislike him. Um, it's only in the last few weeks that we've seen his negatives rise. And I think that, that comes on the heels of that that press conference and the new restrictions that he put in place a few weeks ago, that really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And he now faces numbers much more similar to what we saw before the pandemic for the premier in Ontario than we see today. Now, this is going to be obviously important. They're, they're key players in the political realm, but we see two di very different worlds when it comes to how Canadians in different provinces are reacting to the decisions and the performance of their premiers. All right. Lots to consider there, uh, David Coletto. Thanks again for your time today. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Always a pleasure, Peter. Thanks. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen. From all of us here at CPAC, thanks again for watching. Until next time.